<laughs> I love humor. If it's slightly informal, I'll start usually with a joke. Like, you know, I'm Jewish, but don't worry. I'm not trying to take over the world. <laughs> if you need any money, don't come like begging here. <laughs> sort of trying to bash some pre uh, prejudices against Jews, I guess. Because like in my country, or I think in the, the entire world, there's a lot of prejudice around Jews and As, like in the States, it's a much bigger uh, minority group. But in my country, we're not even 1% of the population. So just, I think it's a sign of intelligence to make jokes about your uh, own like group. And I wish more people would joke about their themselves and not take themselves that seriously because it will be much more fun in the world. You know firsthand that people can change. You've seen incredible divides be crossed with love and respect. Your religion, Judaism, is a small minority group in your home country of the Netherlands, but you grew up connecting with people of other faiths. Now your mission is bringing people together, creating understanding and illuminating the truth. You work to grow communities based on respect across religious divides, promoting peace, You discover that ingredients to connection are persistence, standing together for what is right, and a good dose of humor. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. So uh, my name is Chantal Suisse-Aruna, and I'm from Amsterdam, the Netherlands. And right now I'm on the IVLP alumni program. I was original on the first uh, faith and service program of IVLP as well. Uh, I'm a social entrepreneur, uh, and uh, a lot of what I do, I, I direct my own consulting firm. A lot of what I do is around uh, religious freedom, interfaith and intercultural understanding, also prevention of radicalization, and basically everything around that field. This week, Sowing seeds of peace in times of conflict. A gang member hears God. And little flames to light up the dark. Join us on a journey from the Netherlands to Israel to the United States, where we hear stories of people finding faith in each other. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. And when you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. always been interested in how cultures and people of different faiths interact. Uh, being Jewish myself, growing up in a pretty small village, I was a really clear minority. There were hardly any other Jewish kids in the school. And therefore, I felt a, a immediate connection to other people that had like different uh, backgrounds than the majority had, like my uh, Muslim uh, uh, friends at school. We, there was like one Muslim and one Hindu and the rest was like mainstream Christian or, or like secular and I'd be Jewish 
And there was always this feeling of being the same but different. So it always had my uh, it always had my attention, and I grew up in a very uh, peace-minded Jewish active youth movement that also has a branch in the U.S. By the way, Habonim Dror. And what really enhanced my ideas of the importance of interfaith relations and standing up against all uh, shapes of discrimination and standing up for each other's causes was my year in Israel, uh, working uh, amongst others with uh, uh, Muslim Bedouins. So that really shaped the, the feeling of necessity to, to uh, do something about this. So when I uh, got back to the Netherlands, I was uh, affiliated with a Jewish uh, student organization uh, that started then to reach out to uh, other uh, uh, faith groups. And that was a new thing, like the Muslim student organization and the Christian student organization and the Hindu student organization and sort of set up that framework. And I loved it so much. I wondered if I wasn't the right career or study track. And... Um, at some point, there was a position vacant, like a part-time position, when I was still studying, to become the first coordinator of actually an American program called A Classroom of Difference, started by the ADL, uh, to combat every type of discrimination in the classroom in a very interactive, fun, deep, experience-oriented way. So I got that job. It was like a pregnancy leave. <laughs> I loved it so much that I did so much acquisition that when the lady, my colleague, returned to work, she couldn't handle the work anymore alone. So I stayed on. <laughs> and that sort of started my uh, new career path towards diversity and inclusion issues. So that sort of spiraled out of control in a way that uh, uh, I loved that so much. I decided to uh, stay in that field. And I, what I saw didn't really exist yet was like Muslim Jewish initiatives by young professionals. Because there were programs for schools. Uh, there were like this uh, like interest groups talking together, but they had like, uh, how do you say, they, they, they had like political agendas. But what didn't exist yet was like a group of young leadership-minded individuals that were young enough to be still to still be flexible, but old enough to take up responsibility for their own communities. So I thought, this is what I have to do. And it became a more pressing, pressing issue because the 2014 uh, Gaza war started, had a huge impact on our communities. And I was already involved, uh, heavily involved in the Jewish community. It was the same year that I uh, became a board member for the for the liberal Jewish community, which is the largest in my country, in Amsterdam. Uh, and uh, the mayor started like a, a dialogue group in his residence with Jews and Muslims. And everybody advised me not to go there with my uh, young professionals program for Jews and Muslims for leadership especially because of the Gaza war. They thought I wouldn't pull it off, but I did. And actually last year we won a peace award. And it was around this time that somebody of the US embassy uh, was advised to have a conversation with me. And that's how I, how I got to know the network and how I got uh, nominated to 
be a participant of the Faith in Service program. It was, it was just amazing. It was such a multifaceted trip. But also, I think, as participants, we learned a lot from each other. And what I specifically uh, valued is uh, the, the relations between us, but also between the Americans we've met. Some of them, I still have working relationships with them or friendships. So uh, there was uh, uh, one specific person that uh, worked on the ad- in the administration then for the White House, the faith-based and neighborhood initiatives. And, uh, and uh, there was somebody I met uh, who was who's now the president of the International Center for Religion and Diplomacy. And these two Americans, I invited them back on uh, the first uh, cultural religious diversity summit in my country. So this is how concrete these relationships were built during like my IVLP program. But it's so rewarding to unite forces to help whatever group is in need. Just human need like I think universal love is the answer to a lot of our questions and uh, if we can reach that uh, combined in force the good to combine forces and reach that and also show people we're not enemies we can actually uh, especially for the Jewish and Muslim community to stand up together uh, and sometimes it does involve speaking like um, and it made me more comfortable I've been with imams on this trip to uh, to reach out to other religious leaders. Like when the 2014 Gaza war happened, a lot of tensions arose between uh, the Jewish community and the Muslim community. And we had some anti-Semitic incidents and threats. And then my friend, the Imam uh, from one of the mosques in Amsterdam called me up, I was on vacation, I uh, worry about the fact that some imp- some people in my congregation don't distinguish between uh, Israeli politics and Jews in Amsterdam. What do I do? What do you need? And I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. So I asked him, please, in your Friday sermon, for one time, distinguish between uh, event- like anger or political feelings people might have and how they treat their fellow Jewish citizens. And just raise awareness about it, and I will be forever thankful. So not only did he do that, he went to like the, 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 the overarching institute of all Moroccan mosques and asked all other imams to do the same. So that was a huge impact. And, and then we from the Jewish community thought, how can we do something for them? So we started educating our children together unlike the stories in the Quran and in the Torah and how they might differ and how and on what level they are the same and how we can help each other. So one of the ladies of the mosque said, you're 
uh, your Jewish community is always so good at like debating and like arguing and, and advocacy and, and discussing. It's like, yes, we're grown like that. You know, we, we, we grew up to not agree with our parents. Like in my culture, it's not seen as something bad if you have a different opinion. It's faster. It's like, yes, she wants to discuss with me. And they say in, uh, that in, in not everywhere, but in large part of her culture, it's seen as uh, disobeying or not being polite to the parents. And so it's like, can you teach our kids to be more like assertive and to not just shout or they, they don't know in which way to express themselves if they don't agree, but really teach them how to debate, teach them how to, you know, uh, ask the right questions and still in a polite, in a polite way, stand their cause. So we could help them there, you know, and they could help us be aware of other, other things. What I think was really uh, moving is that there was a lot of imams from conservative countries that had really strict rules of how to deal with women. One of them was very uncomfortable with me because I'm very open like that and, you know, touchy and enthusiastic. And, uh, like, I remember walking up to him and I want to shake his hand. And he's like, no, like shaking his head. He's like nodding his head like, hi, hi, nice to meet you. Like making this bow, like, salam alaikum. I'm like, oh, alaikum salam. You know, I know some Arabic. And at the end of the program, like after three weeks, I was, I like, it grew on me, like, how to greet him. So I, like, put my head, hand on my heart and I bowed, like, to say salam alaikum. And he walked up to me and said, are you kidding? And he gave me a hug. <laughs> I thought that was so, like, that was also America growing on him a bit these two weeks. And he sort of stepped over his own principles. Not that I would want people to do that, but it was a big deal. It was a big deal. I really loved the home hospitality, but what I also loved is there was something that happened sort of on the side of the program because we were like talking to a church with mostly African-American members that were facing a lot of hardship due to ticking the box in jail time and crime and, you know, all kinds of problems with their youth. And then we had, I never forget them, we had this amazing two young people come to our hotel basically in their free time uh, and there were former gang members and one of them found God the other didn't but that didn't matter they found each other they at some point in their life that was so out of my like comfort zone what happened there that it really highly impacted me they wanted to kill each other before like they really had like they had it like they were from opposite gangs at some point in their life and like faith put them back together after they they've done like like went through jail and everything and for some reason they started to appreciate each other and build a friendship and they wanted this all to stop and now they went into schools and like community places where there's youth at risk falling into the trap of like violence and like a, a like a path that doesn't help to better future and they have become the biggest ambassadors for change and that 
really impacted me because they still look the same. Like one was like two by two with golden teeth and like like you see in the movies, right? I thought I was like caught up in some rap video <laughs> and, and like they were like too uh, uh, li little something and, 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 and uh, like too short and Big B. Yeah, that were their names, <laughs> like their stage names. And that for me was something I wasn't expecting at all. So imagine like imams and like faith leaders from various countries, like people from 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 uh, Lebanon and from uh, 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 different countries in like Africa and from um, uh, there was many many people from Middle East and t there was Turkish participant, Lebanese participant, like myself. And uh, there was uh, somebody, some from Sri Lanka and India. There's all these faith leaders and two huge, like, look like rappers. They also <laughs> that were like <laughs> promoting like peace. And one really told me his story about God, and that was a, that story really hit me. He's Christian, by the way. He said uh, he was laying in his room and he said, "If God, if you have a different path laid out for me, give me a sign." And nothing happened, right? So this guy, this huge tall guy that was supposed to shoot him, shot him. And uh, there were like flashes coming from the gun, but he wouldn't die. For some reason, it, nothing happened. And the guy that was shooting at him didn't understand how this was possible. And the guy who never died was like, this, this, this is a miracle. Like God exists. And he was laying in his room and then he had a vision later. And he told me... God, I told you to give me a sign and I'm still waiting for the sign. And then he said he heard a vision that said, what I gave you, like I flashed at you three times today. What sign do you need? You know? And I thought, wow. <laughs> and that sort of brought him to God. But the beautiful thing is he did never try to convince the other like super tall guy to also believe in God. He just stayed secular. And still they deeply respected each other and were like best friends. I thought that story really touched me. That was something I would have never expected to meet. And that was because of our like local liaisons there, by the way. The thing is, we have... Uh, I establish really, really warm friendships with the people I've done dialogue or interfaith work with. And they are my beacon of hope when things go wrong. And that's also uh, amazing because you, uh, when you uh, saw seeds in, the, in times of peace, you harvest them in times of, com of conflict. So what happens is I'm one phone call away of people I work with in various communities and we uh, we like try to counter acts any acts of violence or extremism together so we know how to find each other and where to find each other pretty rapidly so at first you feel a setback and all your hard work is being like like diminished but the thing is you really you can really show what you're worth in times of conflict And, and that's when you can really make the change because like Dr. King said, you know, like uh, darkness doesn't, uh, uh, how do you say it again? Wait, uh, di uh, with darkness, you cannot find, fight darkness only with light. And, and to add to that, in a 
dark room, one little flame can make all the difference. So I see my mission, almost my mission in life, not to like light lights or candles or whatever, where there's blazing sunlight and everything's amazing. I see our biggest challenge to light little flames in places where it's really dark and really hard. So there was a very significant incident where some ultra-right-wing white supremacists made a horrible doll of the Prophet Muhammad and uh, hung him in front of one of the largest mosques in our country and said, Muhammad's uh, child raper, pedophile, like, will come from you. It's like horrible. It was like a very clear and obvious threat to the Muslim community. And, uh, and, it, and this was a super conservative Muslim community, to be honest, not one I tend to work with. But I stand for religious freedom and for the safety of all religious or non-religious people to like, live in freedom of religious and conscience. So I decided as a representative of the Jewish community to go and attend their Friday prayers. And that was really highly appreciated by the imam. And um, yeah, it's something, this is a super conservative mosque, right? So it was for me, it was also stepping over my own shadow because with the moderate mosque, it's easy for me to work with them. But this was for me an extra stretch. And it was also in a different city. But I took my car, I drove up there, I covered my hair and I went inside saying, we, the Jewish community, do not support this. I think, I hope that that sparked some light. And at the end, it's so much more rewarding because you can have... uh, real impact. I don't say talking to each other, learning from each other's values, having in-depth discussions, uh, sending out statements when there are terrorist attacks or other atrocities, standing up for the other group. It all helps. It's important and we should always continue doing it. So my epiphany moment was like the action-based learning. So basically these people believe something and then they go out and do something with it so uh, what it made me want to do is like, go home and do more stuff I'm the founding mother of some of these projects on like uh, religious tolerance and like actually don't like the word tolerance. I prefer the word respect. Uh, but right now I'm building the national respect movement in my country in like with 16 municipalities. So that's sort of hopeful. <laughs> 
And another really nice thing is that like this small getting to know your neighbors project with my synagogue and schools, we built that out to four large cities and we have 13,000 students who have attended. So I hope that this snowball effect will go on. And I hope that the first generation Muslim Jewish leaders I trained will take over, not the world, <laughs> but just like my work, right? So that they will uh, like plant seeds everywhere, like I tried, tried with them. And some of them, uh, I scouted them on what I thought were le leadership skills. It's always like, you always have to wait to see if that really happens. One of them is deputy mayor of Amsterdam. You know, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, one of them is a big publicist and is like a national TV uh, famous person. Uh, there's authors and writers and businessmen and they're amazing. Like we're now uh, uh, five years uh, past the first program. So it's like 2019 and that was 2014. And I see them as the next generation peace builders. So my hope is very optimistic. It's that they will train the next generation and next generation. And I'll just be there, like advising them if they need me. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Chantelle Suisse Rana shared her experiences bridging faith divides and building religious respect as part of the Faith and Service International Visitor Leadership Program, or IVLP. For more about IVLP and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. And hey, leave us a nice review while you're at it. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And now you can follow us on Instagram at 2233 underscore stories. Special thanks to Chantel for taking the time to meet with us. I did the interview and Kate Furby edited the segment. Featured music was Memories of Egypt by Schmidty the Wave, Raining Rome by Anatech, Past Ice and Ice and More by Land of a Thousand Rappers, Busy by Brew Oro, or Midbar and Rutz El Hamar Havim by Human Signals. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time. <laughs>